We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Father, uh, thank you for for your love for the nations. Uh, thank you for your love for the church and how you continue to use the church, use your people to bring about uh, to bring about the, the gospel work, the kingdom work on this earth. I mean, we, Father, we thank you that uh, as we experience just that grace and mercy that you have given us to be, uh, to be a, a, an expression and to be the, the action of, of your love and of your, your gospel presentation, we also pray, Father, that indeed uh, Muslims around the world would be able to, to know and to experience that same grace, God. 1.8 billion people, we ask, Father, uh, that you would save them as a God who saves, a, a holy, just, merciful God, that you would save them, that they would indeed turn away from, um, uh, from just false ideas about God or Allah, but, Father, they would, they would trust in you. They would trust in, in the one true God of the universe as, you've, as you have revealed yourself in your word through Christ in the power of the Spirit. And we pray, Father, that you would work through uh, the church, uh, that you would work through Christians to disciple these Muslims. And, Father, we pray, we rejoice, we rejoice for those Muslims who have turned to Christ and now uh, find their identity in you. And we ask that you would continue uh, to give them courage and strength as not only they persevere in this new faith and you hold fast to them, but also as they strive to reach others around them and even uh, uh, family members and and friends who are uh, still uh, following uh, the way of Islam. And uh, God, we pray all of this in, in a saving name, uh, in, in a redeeming name, in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Uh, well, good evening. Welcome to Midweek Worship. Um, we are uh, we're actually taking a quick break from the book of Malachi. Uh, so Pastor Grant is, uh, is currently uh, teaching a, uh, a membership class, a next steps class for those interested in, uh, in joining here at Jefferson Town Baptist Church. So we continue to pray uh, for him and for those who are, who are interested in joining with us in our fellowship here. So we're taking a small break from Malachi uh, before we jump back in uh, next week. And so our break this evening brings us to the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we'll be preaching from First uh, Peter chapter one, verses one through nine, and um, uh, I, I've really just uh, as I just continue to read uh, the text in the book, uh, I've just I've loved First Peter and and the 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 the, the depth and the, the richness uh, that is that is in here, and so um, we're gonna just. Uh, mainly focus on verses three through nine. I'm going to read the first two as well. And uh, just before we jump in, um, I, I think what Peter is doing, uh, he, he's writing to the early church. This is his first, first letter to the early church, uh, most likely a, a Gentile audience. 
Um, and he's writing to even churches in, in Rome, in, in provinces in Rome, as we'll see in the, in the first verse, first and second verse. Um, but despite all of this, uh, Peter seems to be um, not so much speaking just to their situation, although he does speak to their trials and their sufferings that they're going through, but he also wants to call them back. He wants to, to remind them of who this God is. And I think this is something that is, is actually pretty natural. Um, we oftentimes... Uh, seek those uh, um, older than us or, or have been through those experiences more mature than us when we seek out advice or, or counsel. And so when you know, Laura and I have been married for, uh, for just over seven and a half years, and I can remember when we were an engaged couple in college, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty frequent and, and, and kind of common uh, to hear uh, you know, older couples, or even, even if they were only been married for a little bit, once you kind of have some of that experience, you just feel like, hey, I want to I want to pass on some information. Like, hey guys, this is what's, this is what's coming. And Laura and I actually really, really enjoy doing this now uh, that we have, uh, uh, you know, four children, technically, uh, three and one on the way. And, uh, and it's, 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 it's such a joy that as we kind of experience parenthood and we get to, we get to uh, you know, let in, you know, let others in on like how awesome this is. We, want, we love giving advice. We, we love doing family worship. And so that's one thing we love to talk to young families about. And so this is something that I think is pretty common and natural to us. And this is exactly what Peter wants to do to these believers in Rome now. So he wants to say, hey, you know, uh, God has done this. God's people have been through things like this before. Uh, God's people have been in these same situations, and God is, God is faithful. Uh, and so as we're going to read these, these first nine verses, and all the while, I think Peter wants to, wants to, wants these, 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 uh, these Christians in, in Rome, he wants them to remember God's faithful sovereignty so that they can be ready for a final salvation. So they, he, he wants them to remember God's faithful sovereignty all the way from, from the beginning and all through the full testimony of God's word and the, the, uh, the example we see throughout all of, the, uh, all of Israelite history, all of that. And then as, as he calls them to go back and remember, he's also calling them to be ready and pointing them forward. He said this is still going to happen, but God is still going to be faithful. So God's, remember God's uh, uh, faithful sovereignty and be ready for that final salvation. That's coming at the end. So um, we'll read it verses 1 through 9 and, and jump into the text here. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an, inher an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Father, I I pray with David in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit, and then I will teach transgressors your your ways, and sinners will return to you. Father, we pray that uh, this evening that your word would speak that sinners would return to you, that, that uh, through the word being preached, it would be multiplied and, and we would go forth and we would do the same. As we cry out for mercy, we would also share that mercy, God. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. So remember uh, Peter's audience uh, of Christians, different Roman provinces. Um, this is the early church, most likely Gentiles. They're also going through um, um, some form of uh, of, of trials, suffering. We see that mentioned here in our passage. Uh, most likely, this is actually a, a, a form of persecution that's happening in the early church while they're in Rome. But this is some sort of suffering that's happening. They're going through, child, through trials. We see it mentioned here. Peter also talks about it later in chapters 3 and 4. And as, as, as we walk through this text, I think the main thread that, that Peter's just weaving all throughout is, like I said, is, is God uh, or Peter pointing to that final salvation. Uh, but before we get there, we see Peter start with, uh, with praise to God. And from that praise, we see a, a new birth. And where that new birth we see uh, is, is, uh, is a living hope and an inheritance. So there's the new birth. There's also a tested faith. And all of this leads to this final salvation. And so Peter rightly and gloriously starts how all things should start with praise to God. And just look at, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, th- this is uh, a, a small but always just helpful, weighty reminder what is, the, what is the, uh, the, the one thing that Peter starts with? He starts with that, that praise. And even before, if you actually look at even his greeting, all of this is pointing to who God is and what he has done. Even as he addresses his audience. Yes, he says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and he lists these different Roman provinces, but that's not how they are defined. They're not defined by, by who they are or, really, or, or where they are. They're defined according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. They're elect exiles according to his, 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 sorry, his foreknowledge. They're, they're ones that are being sanctified in the Spirit. Okay, it doesn't matter uh, which province you are, wh- where, where you've been exiled to, you are elect. God has, God has chosen you. You're being sanctified in the Spirit. You're doing that so that you may obey Christ because you've been sprinkled with his blood. So, so we see that even, even in the greeting, God, or, uh, Peter is pointing to God, and then he starts with that praise there. And what is the one reason that Peter gives for praising God the Father? Because of his great mercy, according to his abundant mercy. And, and how have we experienced this mercy? Because God has given us new birth. By God's mercy, Christians are, are born again. 
Ah, what, what, a, what a just lovely image and, and, and just strong words there. And not only is this praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think that it's intentional that Peter is, 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 uh, is pointing out here that this is praise to God, the, Lord, the, the Father and Lord of Jesus, but this is also praise to our Father. And I think the reason this is important, because again, if, we were, if, we're, if we're walking through this, pointing for that final salvation, we see that, that in the end, uh, that it is Christ who is king. And it is, it is Christ who is going to, to come and be revealed in all glory. And then what are we? We are co-heirs with him. So because, because Peter starts with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then we think about, well, he's also our father, right? That's because we're co-heirs with this King Jesus. So even there, we see this, this praise that happens, and he's, he's linking us forward to this, this time where we are united in Christ for a future, a future hope, a future salvation. And we see, uh, we see Paul uh, talk about this in Romans 8, uh, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we see this truth throughout Scripture that we, that we can call God our Father, and it is praise to him. And because of that praise, uh, uh, we, we see it's because of his mercy and it's in his mercy that we see we are born again. And surely uh, we cannot hear that phrase, born again, and not think of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, uh, you know, Jesus is, is talking to this Pharisee, Nicodemus, uh, uh, in the night, it seems, or um, in, in the darkness. And, and Jesus, Jesus says to him, when they ask, he's, he said, well, well how, how can I know? Who, who are you? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Peter, Peter starts with praise to God because of what he has done and who he is, and he has caused us to be born again. This is foremost in our worship to God. He is the God of salvation, a God who saves. And friends, if he has saved you, then you are called to live your entire life to praise him. I mean, that, 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 that's, that's the first thing. How often, I mean, this is, this is common. A lot of times people, they want to, uh, uh, you know, they get up in the morning and, uh, and they say, oh, you know, just they thank God for another day. They thank God for that, 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 that breath that they get to take, that they, that they have even just, you know, woken up that day. And some of us feel that more than others. They, they praise God for a, yet another day of physical life. But how often does it go in between times when you praise God because he has saved you eternally? How often do, are you reminded of who this God is as a God who saves uh, you know, by the power of the Spirit in Christ for all eternity? You must be born again. It's a new life that God has given you. And in that new life, it starts with and it is sustained by praise to God. Again, Paul, Paul also talks about this. We see in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how the old has passed away. He even, calls, he even calls Christians a new creation. Again, this is just 
exactly that same imagery of that, of that new birth, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have a new life. You're born again. And again, this points to when you're, when you're born again and born into Christ, that old life is gone. Everything about that old life. It doesn't matter uh, what, sort of, what sort of status or where you were there. Again, you are now defined by this new life that God has given you. You are defined by a God that has, that has chosen you and has saved you. And you're, you're definitely not defined by where you are. Because as Peter reminds his audience, and we should be reminded, they're living as exiles. Part of Peter t- calling them to remember God's faithful sovereignty is using so much Old Testament language you know, throughout this first chapter, throughout the book. And so we see here, as he, as he refers to, to exiles and those who are strangers, foreigners in this land, this, this reminds us of, of Israelite history where they too uh, were not always in that promised land that God gave them. They were often, uh, they, were, they were in Egypt. Uh, they were even kicked out of their land. They were exiled by, by God. They were often not there, but God always brought them back. And we see his faithfulness in bringing them back together. And that is, that is who they were. That's how the Israelites were defined. And, and friends, indeed, we are also defined by that. As, as a people who are called by God, who are saved in Christ, we are waiting for a future home. We also are living as exiles. And if you're living as exiles here, then that new life must be different than how you lived before. Your, your allegiance is no longer to this world. And so our, our new birth, this new life given to us by God, according to his great mercy, means that regardless of what your old life meant, you are God's now. And that doesn't mean it's as easy as we'll see. His audience was going through trials and suffering. But, but God does have a plan because you are his. And so this, this new life now, some of you might be thinking when you receive this, this new birth, and, you, and, and I'm just beginning to talk about the, the new and the old, how the old has passed away. You're like, well, Andrew, what's really wrong with my old life? Well, friends, it was no life at all. Because in sin, you were dead. It was no life at all. Life is only found by God in Christ. That new birth is a glorious truth because it is in that life that we can truly praise God in the first place. And so, friends, I would just, I would just call you even right now, as we, as we hear about this new birth and who God is, I would just remind you and call you to repentance and faith. This holy, righteous, just, and merciful God sent Jesus Christ to come die on a cross. He died in our place. We deserved to be there for our sins. And that's why he was there. Friends, if you are not living this new life, if, if indeed if you're not born again, then you are living no life at all. But you are a, a dead man walking. So be born again in Christ by the power of the Spirit. And that's just the beginning of the new birth. Because what does Peter say? It says that we're born into, this, he's given us this new birth, into a, a living hope. 
and into an inheritance. Our new life comes because there is a living hope. This new life that we have is because, excuse me, is because Christ's resurrection. Our hope is in Christ and it's living because he lives. A living hope. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, dying the death that we deserve because of our sins, and then he rose again, defeating death and giving us life. Our hope is alive because Christ is alive. And so when Peter reminds us of this living hope, it is not, it is not hope white, like we might use the word. It is not wishful thinking. It's not any sort of changing plans. It is a, a certainty, a sure thing. Later, uh, later uh, in, in verses 13 down, Peter's actually going to tell them to, to set their hope on God, on grace that will be revealed to them in, in the coming of Jesus Christ. To set their hope, right? It is, it is sure. It is steady. And this reminds me of, of the line, the witch, and the wardrobe. Uh, now, the movie changes the scene slightly from how Lewis wrote it in the book, uh, but we can still see the illustration here. The four human children, the four Pevensey children, um, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, they have, they have wandered into this magical land of Narnia, and, uh, and one of, their, uh, uh, one of their, their siblings, Edmund, he's, he's taken captive. Uh, indeed, he's actually a, a traitor, um, and as as they meet up with, with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they're sitting in their home, they realize there's nothing that they can do. Uh, they, they begin to, they're new to Narnia. They have no idea who this white witch is. And so they begin to ask Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, well, surely there's something that we can do. We have to go get him. After all, he's our brother. And, and again, they just tell him, you don't understand. You cannot, you cannot just barge into the white witch's castle. And so finally, one of the children says, well, well maybe there's no hope at all. And, and Mr. Beaver, he exclaims, well, blimey, there's a lot more than hope. Aslan is on the move. Now, technically, the, the movie contrasts this hope against Aslan. I think Lewis would rather have seen that, that the hope is Aslan. There's not more than hope. The hope is Aslan. But the point is that Jesus Christ is alive, and we have hope because he is alive, because he is on the move. Just like the children in the story could do nothing to save, we only have a hope that is outside of ourselves, and it is found in our risen Lord. God is on the move. Jesus is risen and reigning, and he is coming back again. And part of that coming back leads us to this inheritance. So, verses, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then there's verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we are born again to a living hope and to an inheritance. <clears throat> and this inheritance is, is kept in heaven for you. So remember, we are born again, and we're born again to, to a good father. And so now as his child, he has given us an inheritance. We, we read this, we read part of this earlier in Romans chapter 8. And again, if we were to keep reading in Romans chapter 8 verses 17, Paul continues the same thought that Peter had. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And this is an inheritance that cannot go away. It cannot be squandered. It cannot be lost. It it, it cannot fade. So maybe some people, they just blow their inheritance, and then then it's just gone. Other people, they try to just keep it and hold on to it, and eventually it's just going to fade and rot. This is kept in heaven for you. And again, we're reminded of Jesus' words when he talks about an inheritance, this treasure that we have. We see in Matthew uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, as we are are looking forward and born again to this this living hope and to this inheritance, and as we see Christ's words of where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. Again, we are pointing back to praise to God. If indeed we see treasure in this coming inheritance, our heart will also be there, and we will be longing and, and, and praising God because what he has done and, and how he is keeping us. So as we look at this new birth, born to a living hope and into an inheritance, what do we do now? The first answer must be, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this also means that you must live in your new life, following after Christ for your inheritance. So friends, remember your salvation. Praise God for it. But also remember that as we're, as we're, ready, we're, we're ready for that final salvation, we're also waiting for that final salvation. So live now in that new life. And because of this hope that we have, because of that, that inheritance kept in heaven, this, this, begins, this, this new life allows us to see things from, from that heavenly or eternal perspective. So now you're no longer just fighting a bad habit because it's kind of annoying and some people don't like it. No, friends, you're fighting sin. You want to conquer sin in the name of Christ. Now you are are striving to obey Christ and his commands and how he has called you to live. That eternal perspective also puts in mind not just what's going to happen that day when we wake up, not just what we're looking forward to or not looking forward to that week, but for our entire life, that entire eternal perspective. How are we using our entire life to praise God by being used as an instrument in his hands for the spread of the gospel? How are we persevering in the faith? A new life means that we're going to be growing in that, as we'll see when we look at, at what that faith means. That, that eternal perspective also should infe- uh, impact our, our prayer life, friends. Pray for salvation. Indeed, as we have done for Muslim this, Muslims this evening, pray for salvation as a God who saves. As you're, as you're parenting or, or uh, grandparenting, uh, how are you praying for those children and sharing the gospel with them? God can save, and he has called you to share the gospel with those people he will save. Share the gospel with them. Don't just strive to be a positive influence, 
evangelize. Yes, you, you could potentially change someone's life around for the good, and they could have a, a good life. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? An eternal, a heavenly perspective. Not just a good life, but an eternal life. So, first is the new birth, and next is a, a tested faith. And as we begin to continue to walk through these verses probably a little bit more quickly now. Um, we'll see that Peter, uh, he's actually going to, it almost looks like he's, he's uh, uh, going off on a rabbit trail. He just kind of begins to add things on very quickly to the end. I often do this whenever I'm talking with Laura. I usually just stop mid-conversation and I have to backtrack what I was saying to actually figure out what we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, the difference is uh, that as I am rambling, Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we can actually turn and we can follow what he is saying and we can see the glorious truth that God revealed through Peter. So we begin, uh, I'm going to reread verse 4 because that's where we see where we might get lost. So verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So, so. <clears throat> I have to be careful there. The end of verse 4, it says, kept in heaven for you. And then verse 5 says, who? So now Peter is switching. And it's easy to miss. He's switching from talking about the inheritance, which is imperishable, to now talking about the inheritor or the heir. So he's switching from the inheritance to the heir. Because, because now you, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter makes this transition and we can see that, uh, that now, just as this, this inheritance is kept for us, we also are being kept or guarded, as verse 5 says. One pastor puts it this way. Of what use is it that salvation is, is reserved for us in heaven, as in a calm, secure haven, when we are tossed in the world as on a troubled sea in the midst of a thousand wrecks? As the inheritance is kept safely, For the far distant heirs, so must they be guarded in their persons, so as to be sure of reaching it. In verse 3, we saw that our new birth is according to God's mercy. Now God's mercy and power continue as we have this gift of faith. And we can can think of that that rich phrase from Ephesians, by grace alone, through faith alone. So we've we've received that mercy, but also now we've received that faith. And so we continue to walk in that we're born again into this inheritance. And as the inheritance is kept for us, we also are being kept. We also are being guarded. And that's good. Because what is happening to our faith? It is being tested. And this you rejoice Though now, verse 6, sorry, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, as Peter begins to talk about this tested faith, he first reminds us of, of the beginning of verse 3. Look at his verse 6 say, In this you rejoice. Again, he brings us back to the beginning of it all. Praise and, and worship, rejoicing in God. 
So we praise him because, of the, because according to his great mercy, we have been born again. And we also continue to rejoice because he has given us this faith. And we rejoice in that faith even though we are tested. We, sorry, we rejoice in that faith especially because we are tested. Because in that testedness, we grow. And we begin to see who this God is. Peter, Peter actually expands on this thought later in chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Our, our testedness causes us to continue to, to grow and to be strengthened and to be hardened. Just like, just like he uses the illustration of gold being refined. It is, our, our faith is purified and it is strengthened and hardened so that, so that at the coming of Jesus Christ, again, he's pointing us forward to that final salvation. At the coming of Jesus Christ, there will be glory and honor and praise. A, a tested faith. And we, we praise him and we rejoice through that. And this is, and again, just like with the new birth, there is an eternal perspective. This, 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 this growing in their faith is not just a spiritual reality. It, it's not just, yeah, okay, I have this faith over here, it gets tested, and then I can just sort of live my life over here. No, because it, what's, what's awesome is as Peter's writing all these glorious kind of weighty truths, you know what else he talks about in this letter? He talks about marriage. He, he actually talks about slaves and masters. He talks about work. Later at the end, he talks about church and pastors. This is not just a spiritual reality. Your testedness and your faith as, as you walk in that new life has every implication for how you are living in this world now. And so we know that this is not just some, some lofty uh, faith that stays up here and, and it's great on Sundays, but it has nothing to do with Mondays, friends. That is not true. If you're walking in that new life by his great mercy, being tested in the faith that he has given you, then that is going to affect how you live throughout the week, how you live throughout all of your life. We rejoice because God is testing our faith. And in that test, it is purified like gold. So through God's power and through trials, our tested faith becomes a true faith. And this true faith, just like our new birth, which gives us an inheritance, this true faith leads us to praise and glory and honor with Christ. Surely at the revelation of Jesus Christ, there will be praise and glory and honor because of who he is as Lord. But I think if we actually read this verse and look at what Peter is talking about, I think what he's saying is that what is going to be found to result in praise and glory and honor is not just Christ, but his co-heirs. Your true faith will also result in our praise and glory and honor. And that doesn't mean it's all about us. If anything, when we receive that praise and glory and honor, it points us back to who Christ is because we are co-heirs with him. But that praise and glory and honor Again, is all of this, I think Peter, just as he's, he's recounting, the, as, he, as he calls them back to mind, all of this, God's faithful sovereignty in the Israelite history, and as he calls them to how they're living now in this new life, he's also pointing them to look forward. So we finally come, <clears throat> finally come to this final salvation. So we see the, that, the example of faith 
that Peter is just talking about. We see an example of that in verses 8 and 9. So we'll read those now. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, how can someone love and believe in someone they have not seen and they cannot see? By faith. And yet again, we reminded of the beginning and end of it all. Praise for God. By faith, we are filled with a glorious joy. A glorious joy. We're rejoicing because our faith leads to the, the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And, and I love how the ESV reads in verse 8. We rejoice with joy. Rejoicing is already feeling that joy. So if I could turn it into a verb, we are joying joy. Okay? It is, it is filled up. It is, it is every bit of, of glory and joy and rejoicing that we have because of a final salvation. Friends, they're living as exiles just as we are, and it will all come to an end. That testedness, as beautiful and glorious and, and necessary as it is, it will come to its full fruition as Christ comes again to a final salvation. And when I say final salvation, I, I'm not talking about a, a, a separate salvation. Oftentimes, in, in uh, kind of American context of Christianity, when we say we are, we are saved, we talk about salvation, we often refer to that moment of, of, of conversion, or actually refer to that moment of new birth, like we talked about earlier, which is great. I think it's a great way of saying it. We have indeed been saved by God from his wrath on our sin. Uh, but I think a lot of times when the Bible actually uses that word salvation, it's pointing to that, that, that kind of ultimate, kind of uh, final, full, full fruition of the salvation at the very end. And so, so there's, that, there's that conversion, that, that justification being made right uh, uh, by God in Christ. And I think there's also a, 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 a salvation bigger picture at the end of it all. And so um, perhaps I will leave us with this illustration um, uh, that final salvation, um, perhaps we've all maybe seen the, the picture of that, uh, that ticker tape parade. Maybe we've experienced certain things like this, some of us. Um, there is indeed victory that can happen on the battlefield. And on that battlefield, when, when, when the war is done, those, those men, those soldiers are victorious. They have won. Okay, so, so they're, they're, that's it. There's, I mean... There's, not, there's nothing left to do except return home. And as they return home, there is a true, greater victory. Because now they're no longer in, in the throes of war. They're no longer in that foreign land. They have returned home to this true, great, ultimate, kind of, kind of full picture of that victory. So they, they were indeed, they had won and saw victory on the battlefield. Indeed, friends, we are saved in, in this life now. And we walk like that in that new life. But we are also waiting and ready for a true victory, a final salvation when we return home. And so, friends, I just encourage you to, to live like that now. Long for that return 
long for the revelation of Jesus Christ. And let that impact how you are living. Let that impact your relationships and, and, and who you're talking to and what you're, what you're thinking and how you, you are talking and thinking with people. Let that impact even indeed your attitude as you go to work, uh, your attitude as you deal with, with, with spouses and with children. Let that, let that affect how you do church. We come together so that we may be sent out knowing that in the end we will all be brought back together again. Friends, we have been called according to his great mercy to, in a new birth that we may walk in this living hope for an inheritance through a tested faith and, and ultimately just leading to that final salvation. Let's pray for that this evening. Father, we ask and we pray that Christ would come. Come, Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would, you would keep us and guard us before that time comes. But we, we ask, Father, and we, we plead and we long for that coming, that, that revealing of this, this lion and the lamb. And Father, let us live with our eyes up, just looking forward uh, and, 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 and walking in that living hope of, of that final salvation that future home where we are no longer exiles, we are brought back together as your children and co-heirs with Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be praised in that, Father. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name.